Once again, happy Father's Day. Before we begin this morning, I invite you to join me in prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, we are continuing our Summer Vibe series. The first week, we talked about A Wrinkle in Time, books of the summer. Last week, Pastor Reagan led us and talked about movies of the summer from quite a few summers back. She talked about 13 going on 30. And today, we are talking about summer travel. With the exception, of course, of last summer, it is fair to assume that summers are the perfect time to travel. Travel is our topic today, and I'm going to actually walk us through a few of my favorite trips that I've taken, and we are going to parallel that alongside our scripture reading from Isaiah. We are going to throw it back to the Old Testament, and it will be threaded throughout to help us see some key characteristics of God, because we can see God all around us all of the time. And as we prepare to travel this summer for some of us, maybe for the first time in quite some time, this will open our hearts to try to find ways to see God even when we are not here in the church building, when we're out and about in the world. Our reading today will be from the book of Isaiah. The book of the prophet Isaiah has 66 chapters, and it's typically split up into either 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Isaiah, or just 1st and 2nd Isaiah. For our purposes today, it doesn't really matter how we decide to split it up, because we are going to be focusing on the beginning of 2nd Isaiah. So, chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah, they cover the Israelites and the Israelite story prior to the Babylonian exile. We pick up with the Israelites in the 40th chapter in the midst of the exile. We don't see the actual story of exile in Isaiah. Maybe it was too heavy for the writer, for the prophet Isaiah to write about. Or maybe it was just assumed that everyone knew what happened when the Israelites were exiled. Instead, we get this pre-exile view and post-exile view. It is in our post-exile reading that we recognize that the Israelites to whom this is written to are suffering deeply. The Israelites are away from their land the Israelites feel abandoned by God. The Israelites are just generally exhausted. At this point, it seems like they may have forgotten who God is. They don't remember the ways that God has provided in the past. They only see what's right in front of them, how they've been conquered, and how they've been taken away from their homes. Second Isaiah strives to provide a reminder of who God is, that God is still God, even though these people are suffering, even in their pain. Isaiah 40, a voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert, make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up, 
and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level and rough terrain, a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. A voice was saying, call out. And another said, what should I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up and the flower withers when the Lord's breath blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. One of the last trips I took before quarantine, before quarantine came into effect in the United States, was to visit the Holy Land. And I got to visit the Holy Land with a group of people from this church. We visited so many different sites, and we had such a cool opportunity to walk around into these stories that we read out of the Bible, to be where they happen, especially those stories of the New Testament. I chose the Holy Land as our first travel destination this morning because this first part of Isaiah reminds me of Israel in two ways. I'm first reminded when I read of the different terrains Isaiah mentions. Isaiah mentions valleys, mountains, hills with grass and flowers. These are terrains we saw firsthand in the Holy Land. You can see all the different ups and downs. Israel and Palestine have really high points of land and really low points of land and everything in between. When Isaiah uses these extravagant descriptions, it's not hard for the Israelites to imagine what he's talking about. It's imagery the Israelites are already familiar with. They witness it daily in their land. This is not our Texas flatlands. This environment, the land surrounding the Israelites, is something they've come to rely on. The land doesn't change often, even though those in power may change. So when the prophet says that the land will all become flat and the grass and the flowers will cease to exist, Isaiah is saying a big thing. It makes a point to the people that the landscape they've become familiar with is not everlasting. The other reason I wanted us to travel to the Holy Land this morning is because while we were there visiting sites, our group learned an important lesson. Often we would stop at sites and the question of the authenticity of the location would come into question. How can we really know that this is the place that Jesus was born or where Jesus was baptized or where he walked to his crucifixion? These were all fair questions. How could we know that we were really standing where these important moments happened? Our tour guide, a Palestinian by the name of FJ, had a retort to these questions. He would often say, 
If it's not here, it's near. This phrase was intended to remind us that the exact location wasn't the most important part. Instead, it was the moment and the impact those moments had on the world. As I read these first words of comfort to the Israelites by the prophet Isaiah, I find it ironic that during my own journey to the Holy Land, there wasn't a whole lot that actually remained from Jesus's time. It had all changed over time and with the course of nature. It also changed to meet the needs of the many tourists that came into the land. As we visited these historic sites, I was reminded that the landmarks and terrains and environments are not everlasting. As Isaiah says in the eighth verse, the grass dries up, the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. God is the one thing that's everlasting. Isaiah wanted the Israelites to hear this message, to hear that though their situation may have changed, though their terrain and environment could change over time, God is everlasting. That's our first characteristic of God this morning. God is everlasting. Go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. God will gently guide the nursing ewes. A few years ago, my spouse Jake and I traveled to Australia and New Zealand. We had friends living in Sydney and we wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to visit. One morning in New Zealand, we were on our way to visit a glacier and our journey was slowed down considerably as we came upon a flock of sheep. It seemed surreal. We were surrounded by mountains, and then all of a sudden, there were sheep swarming both sides of the street. And as they ran alongside us, I couldn't help but think of all the times that sheep are mentioned throughout the Bible. Jesus is often referred to as a shepherd. There are stories of sheep being separated from the goats. Sheep are this very important metaphor used throughout the Bible. And as I watched these sheep, I quickly recognized their pack instinct. They stayed close to one another, and they always seemed to follow wherever the rest of the group was going. I love this imagery of a shepherd with sheep. Isaiah uses it to comfort a community. Isaiah paints this picture of God as a shepherd, compassionately caring for all of the sheep. 
It reminds the Israelites that they are loved by their God individually and as a larger community, that they are a part of something bigger than themselves. As the Israelites continue this post-exile life, they need a constant reminder of God's presence with them, of God's compassion, that they are part of a larger flock. We too, centuries and centuries after the Israelites, can still see the beauty of sheep around us. We can be reminded that we are part of a community and that God is with us, that God offers compassion. Our second characteristic of God to remember this morning is God is compassionate. Who has measured the waters in the palm of a hand or gauged the heavens with a ruler or scooped the earth's dust up in a measuring cup or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? Who directed the Lord's spirit and acted as God's advisor? Whom did God consult for enlightenment? Who taught him the path of justice and knowledge and explained to him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and valued as dust on a scale. Look, God weighs the islands like fine dust. Lebanon doesn't have enough fuel. Its animals aren't enough for an entirely burned offering. All the nations are like nothing before God. They are viewed as less than nothing and emptiness. The country of Cuba has had an embargo against it from the United States since the mid-20th century. Depending on the political party in power here in the States, this embargo gets adapted every four or so years. During seminary, I was able to spend my spring break in Cuba where we met with professors and economists and stayed at a local seminary. It is one of the most impactful trips of my life. I witnessed firsthand the many intricacies that challenge the everyday person every day. Cuba is an island, and it's impacted largely by this embargo placed upon them by one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Whatever your personal views on this, if you have personal views on this, it is obvious that the United States is in a place of power in this situation. Yet, even though Cuba is small in size and it's an island separated from others, and even though it's one of only four countries in the world with an embargo against it from the United States, the Cuban people are still able to make a difference in the world. They are the only country in the world to meet the conditions of sustainable development put forth by the WWF, or the World Wildlife Fund. And as I met Cuban people and I heard their stories, I felt moved by this idea that we were all connected to one another. No matter the history behind our nations, no matter the differences in governments, 
God unites us in a way that is larger than all of that. When Isaiah writes, all the nations are like nothing before God, he doesn't mean that the people of the nations are worthless or that they may be unimportant. Instead, Isaiah reminds the people that God is bigger than their current situation. God is bigger than the nations that have enslaved and conquered them. God is bigger than even their own understanding of their own identities and histories. Traveling to Cuba reminded me just how big our God is. Our third characteristic of God. God is big. So, to whom will you equate God? To what likeness will you compare him? An idol? A craftsman pours it, a metal worker covers it with gold, and fashions silver chains. The one who sets up an image chooses wood that won't rot, and then seeks a skilled artisan to set up an idol that won't move. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Wasn't it announced to you from the beginning? Haven't you understood since the earth was founded? God inhabits the earth's horizon. Its inhabitants are like locusts, stretches out the skies like a curtain, and spreads it out like a tent for dwelling. God makes dignitaries useless, and the earth's judges into nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely is their shoot rooted in the earth. When God breathes on them and they dry up, the windstorm carries them off like straw. So to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Look about the sky and consider, who created these? The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name. Because of God's great strength and mighty power, not one is missing. Often, I do not feel like a creative person. I have to write sermons. I'm a preacher. I like writing sermons. I like coming up with words. But that's kind of the extent of my gift. I am terrible at crafting of any type, painting, building, sewing. You could say anything. I would be terrible at it. I'm not even really great at cutting with scissors in a straight line. I must have missed that day in kindergarten. I can't write lyrics. I can't write music. I'm not the best at coming up with innovative, exciting ideas. After my senior year of high school, I went to Europe with my mom and my friend Meg. Yes, the same Meg I referenced in A Wrinkle in Time. We have quite the history, me and Meg. And Meg's mom, our French teacher, is actually the one who took us to Europe. Meg and I spent four years of high school in French, and this was our celebration of completing four years. Don't speak French to me, y'all. Can't do it. It's not something I retained. And as we toured Europe, creativity seemed to be everywhere we turned. The Sistine Chapel, the Michelangelo, the Mona Lisa, 
we had the opportunity to spend one of our days in Venice. And it was there that I saw the creative souls behind so much of the creativity I was observing. I met leather makers and glass blowers. We stopped into the shops of goldsmiths and printmakers. We saw art made of ceramics and fine silk. It was startling to be in the midst of people creating so many beautiful things all in one location. During quarantine, I tried to be intentional about seeing the beautiful things surrounding me, not created by impressive, talented creatives in Venice, but actually taking note of creation around me here in Plano, Texas. The Israelites that we see in Isaiah aren't super impressed with God at the moment. They probably feel like they are at the end of their rope. They would rather lament than to take note of the beauty that still surrounds them, even in their pain. God reminds them of creation, of the sky, of the beauty of the world around them. And they feel exhausted. They yearn for more. Yet Isaiah continue to remind, continues to remind them of the many ways God is creator. That no one can compare to God. Not the Venetian creators I met. Not even people today. God is the ultimate creator. The God who continued to give us nature and open our eyes in quarantine the God that was with the Israelites even as they suffered. By taking notice of the beauty in the world around us, we can be reminded that God is creator. God actively creates and brings life all around us. God is creator. Finally, look up at the sky and can we already said that part? Let's restart. Finally, why do you say Jacob and declare Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My God ignores my predicament. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary his understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Our last destination this morning is the place I envision right away when I hear this infamous reading, the Grand Canyon. There's something about soaring eagles that makes me go straight to this wonder. 
also the weary thing too. I visited the Grand Canyon with a group of our high school students on their annual choir tour a few years ago. When we arrived at the canyon, we had a few different options. We could go with the intense hiking group. We could join the moderate hiking group. We could go with the stay around the rim crew. Or the final crew was, let's chill and find somewhere to eat. I was feeling a lot of emotions as I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. I was feeling some sort of exciting way. I chose to join the moderate hiking crew. We walked for a really long time down the canyon. I felt rejuvenated as we went further and further down. I felt confident. I was so excited for this adventure. And then as we made our way down, one of the adults said, okay, this is the time we need to go back up now to meet the bus. I'm a realist at heart. I'm not sure how I didn't think as I was going down, down, down that I would need to go back up, up, up. I let my guard down. This was my downfall. As we made our way back up the same exact path we had just come down, I felt all of the weariness. I was the reason that our group of moderate climbers got separated into a subgroup of fast and slow. I'll let you guess which one I was in. Yes, there were beautiful eagles at the Grand Canyon, but the part of Isaiah that really sits with me is that weary part. In that moment, I felt weariness. And Isaiah reminds us that God gives strength when we are weary. As I climbed with this group of students, I didn't want to show my lack of physical strength. I didn't want to seem weak or thirsty or old. But it was only in my vulnerability that I was able to make it back up the hike. It was only when I said those words out loud, I need a break. I could use a few extra minutes on these treacherous rocks. It was only then that I began to feel relief from my weariness. My experience was nothing compared to the Israelites being exiled. Their weariness is something I can't imagine. And in that moment of weariness, the Israelites yearned to be reminded of God's power. That in their suffering, in their exile, in their weariness, God brings relief. God is powerful even when we are exhausted and at our lowest peak. We have these great displays of God's power in the Grand Canyon, in the world around us, to remind us our last characteristic of God. God is powerful.
Like I said, I can't imagine what the Israelites must have experienced as they were exiled from their homes. Just a year in quarantine kind of drove me crazy. I can't imagine the pain and loss that they encountered. Isaiah reminds this suffering people that God is their strength. Isaiah reminds them that God is everlasting, God is compassionate, God is big, God is creator, God is powerful. When we are at our breaking point, these are the truths about God that we can cling to. We don't have to have all the right Bible answers. We don't have to know every single story in scripture. We don't have to have the best words for our prayers. We begin by remembering what we know to be true about God. God is everlasting. God is compassionate. God is big. God is creator. God is powerful. The Israelites' journey into exile begins with Isaiah reminding them of these truths. As we embark on our summers, as we maybe begin to travel for the first time in a while, may we too remember these truths about our God and may they sustain us on any journey we encounter. Amen.